Welcome to the Pro EDU Podcast, where Rob and Gary talk and drink with your favorite photographers. So grab yourself a cold sarsaparilla and saddle up. This episode, we are talking brain juice, all uh-huh. the brain juices. We have David Parrish calling in from the sunny hills of Wisconsin. Is that where you're at? I am in Wisconsin. I don't think they've ever called it the sunny hills of Wisconsin, but we'll, we'll go with it. <laughs> I think, it, is it not hilly in Wisconsin? I thought it was. Or is it very. It was in the area we went to last time, but not so much where I'm at right now. Oh. Yeah. They have a lot of planes, right? Yeah. Like planes? Yeah. Yeah, like like flying planes. No, like farmland. Oh, you know. And as well, Rob Grimm is here. Of course, I'm here. David, thank you for joining us today. We're talking about—is it theory or is it actual science? The science of learning your your brain. Well, I mean, there's there's both theory and science because you know a lot of a lot of psychology is theory. A lot of psychology waxes and wanes as new theories come out, or we understand things more. Uh, so, you know, you can't say it's, it's both. Uh, I think I'll be pretty clear on, you know, what is researched and, uh, try to say what I, if it's my theory, um, try to make a difference between the two. Okay. So before we get into this, I, I know that so many people in our audience are going to know you because you are very big in the community, but they probably don't know your history and why you're an expert in performance and learning. So give us a little bit of your background so they know why we're talking to you about this. Yeah, so um, I spent 22 years almost in the Army, in the United States Army, I guess I should be clear, since we're a worldwide community. Um, And approximately 2009, the Army started a program that was really based in positive psychology, and I was one of the original soldiers to get wrapped up into that. And that sort of started this quest of interest uh, and education in various forms of psychology, um, to include performance psych. And I taught about those things as my primary job for the last 10 years of my career. And then, as you guys know, I retired about three, almost, I guess going on three, two and a half years ago, I retired from the Army. Um, and still still learning, still going to school for it, still practicing. So um, a huge interest of mine has been in the creative field uh, since, you know, we all have, Uh, these forums that we read we read each other's problems all the time and just really seeing how those skill sets that we were applying and to athletes that we're applying to soldiers how we could bring them into the creative field uh, to help optimize performance and make people function and maybe think about things uh, more holistically and start thinking about creativity as a skill set um, maybe start reevaluating what we consider to be talent. And as we start to do those things and really think of things from a different point of view, maybe we collectively unlock and, and build uh, our potential to realize that people are a little more limitless than probably we think. Mm-hmm. 
So we're going to talk about a few things today. We're going to talk about how people can learn more effectively. Um, yeah. And we're going to talk about learning through workshops. We're also going to talk about learning through tutorials and what people, you know, how they can benefit better, what, what mistakes people are making. But let, let's kind of start this off by talking about why creatives aren't successful. What are some of the pitfalls that you have seen that make them not really hit the mark, which is why they need to go back and learn the right way? Right. Um, I think the biggest thing that probably changed my whole viewpoint on learning and creativity specifically all has to do with the research from a lady named Carol DeWick. And specifically, she wrote a book called Mindset, which is, I think, uh, probably one of the most mind-blowing, alter, mind-altering books that I've read. Um, but in it, she really started to think about uh, people tend to fit into two different categories when they start considering um, where skills, challenges, efforts, what, how they view feedback, how they view setbacks, they tended to fit into two different groups. Uh, and she called those fixed mindset and growth mindset. And I think in our industry, a lot of people live in a fixed mindset um, and they don't really, they don't even really know it because you know, this is potentially the first time anybody's hearing about a mindset. So let's define uh, both of those. What is a fixed mindset? What is a growth mindset? So again, I think we have to look at it from domains. So number one is it really goes into how you view those things that I just listed. And we'll talk about them again one on one. But it also you have to understand that it's it's domain specific. So how I might view photography does and I might view photography or creativity with a growth mindset, I might view going to the gym and physical activity with a fixed mindset. So even within one person, they can think multiple different ways about different domains. So okay. I just be clear that, you know, when you're thinking fixed and growth mindset, you can't just be like, well, I'm growth mindset. And now that applies to all aspects of my life. So it's, um, not, it's not a set personality trait. It's something that we vacillate yeah. on depending on what we're doing. Absolutely. And it's not a set personality trait at all because you can develop it this conversation can open you to it and then you can start focusing okay. on it and fixing it so it's definitely not set at all but so the first thing would be how you tend to view skills uh and in our in our industry i think it's also you have to talk about how you view talent is talent something that you're born with it's a fixed trait you can't develop it, it that is all there is if that if that describes your way of thinking, then you're more fixed mindset. Um, whereas a growth mindset understands that skills and talents can be developed. Uh, they come from a place of hard work. Um, you can always improve, which I would say probably in the domain of our community, hopefully most people are in the growth mindset because if you're not and you're seeking out tutorials and being a part of this community, um, chances are you're, you're probably in a growth mindset already. Um, so that's the first one is looking at like skills and talent. If you're fixed or are you growth? Mm -hmm. um, the next ones come a little bit more, get a little bit more complicated. And I think that's when we start talking about challenges and how you tend to view challenges. Um, do you view like, should challenges be embraced or should they be avoided? And I guess I can ask you guys that like, do you, do you tend to embrace challenges or do you tend to avoid challenge? Depends on the challenge. Yeah, no, I think it depends on what the topic is. Right. So let's let's look at it as related to our our work. So uh, I know Gary's more into video and more into tech stuff and you're you're still 
at your heart, I know a photographer yeah. in there. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You tend to look at as challenges as something that you want to seek out or do you try to avoid challenges? No, I, photographically, I want to seek out challenges because if I right. don't, I'm really stagnant and I don't find that the creativity is is as rewarding. When I kind of figure something out, um, that gets the wheels turning and you know I start testing things and I go down... Uh, I, I think the good thing about being challenged photographically is that if you don't know what's going to happen, but you have a, set, a certain set of skills, that allows for things to just kind of be happenstance that you wouldn't expect that then becomes an, an amazing new avenue that you didn't know you could go down. Um, right. And I like that about the photographic process. If I was doing the same thing, like if I was a, a photographer who only shot catalogs, just boogers on white all day, I'd be <laughs> out of business in six months. Right. But because my clients have specific needs and they have defined parameters and sometimes they, ha they have things that they want to execute that they haven't done before or that I haven't done before, that, that challenges me to make it happen. And that keeps me well engaged and keeps me growing. Yeah, exactly. So, so, I mean, you kind of summed it up with that last sentence in regard to challenges. You're definitely in a growth mindset. So, you know, and when we look at fixed and growth mindsets as it relates to challenges, there are people who believe that challenges should be avoided at all costs uh, because they tend to believe that if they challenge themselves and if they fall flat, and you've probably met these people in the industry, it, it, it becomes a summation of their talent. And if they believe that talent is a fixed thing, once they fail or once they hit that challenge and, and they are struggling, that sort of summarizes and says, well, here's my talent cap. So they don't want anybody to see that potential running out of talent they don't they don't want to see people pushing it or see them see people them pushing themselves in front of people and those people tend to give up easily because as soon as something gets challenging they're done um whereas a growth mindset you you feel that challenges should be embraced much like you just described yeah. uh, it's just opportunity to grow and through that, you tend to be more persistent. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I'm, t I'm just trying to get my head wrapped around the idea of people in this business not being growth oriented. Because I you, mean, I, you're going to fail. I think that there's those people who, you know, they find something, it works, and then that's where they rest. That They are the best widget shooter in the entire Actually, world. Actually, yeah, you know what? I, I, I'm starting to think of people that... Yeah. It also depends on how people like deal with failure. Like a lot of people will not, and I know a lot of people like this, they will not take chances. They will not get out of their comfort zone. They will not travel to other countries because they're up. It's almost crippling for some people afraid of failing. And that can, Absolutely. that can be debilitating mm -hmm. in how you make decisions. And if you, if you get in your a comfort zone of showing up to work where you're told what to do all day long, there's not much to worry about. And if, if your mind is okay with doing the same monotony over and over and over, and there's nothing wrong with that, then the, what's there to worry about? What's there to fail at? Yeah, you know I mean? I'm not built that way. Right. I, I mean, I think a lot of us aren't, but I think, like you said, I mean, you know those creatives who, who really just kind of get in the zone. This is what they do. They're, they're really famous for that one thing. But you look at their whole book, and it's just like a recycle mm -hmm. of – the previous thing like nothing really changes uh they are they are they're really scared to get beyond that because you know what if what if 
what if this is all I'm capable of and nothing more? Um, you know, and a lot of people, like Gary said, a lot of people that just gets them terrified because they don't, they don't want to admit to themselves that this is hard. And, and, you know, maybe the things that they believe to be true about themselves aren't. So that's challenges. Um, the next one is how you view effort. Do you, do you view effort as, you know, if, if something becomes hard again, does that mean you're not really talented? Uh, how do you, how do you deal with effort? Um, those fixed mindset people tend to think that effort should be unnecessary. Um, it's something that, you know, when you do it, when you're good enough, you shouldn't ha it shouldn't be hard. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't require effort. Um, and those growth mindset people tend to believe that effort is essential yeah, and that part of the process, right? It's, it is the process and, and really understanding that you are on a path to what we would call mastery. You're trying to master your art. And just like the old masters of the Renaissance, you know, it took what Da Vinci 15 years to paint the last supper. Um, he had multiple sketches related to it. Uh, he, he understood that that was a path to create something. It wasn't just a, I'm going to wake up one morning and pound this out and we'll call it a day, uh, that it was going to require effort. And make that makes perfect sense. Actually, David, was it, I think it was you that said only up until recently sports teams. And I think you gave the example of the Seattle Seahawks. And I think it was the first season that they, that they brought on a coach like this. They yeah, won so the Super Bowl. Yeah, is that, is that have, right? Yeah, they have a guy, his name is Michael Gervais, who works for them. So most professional sports teams at this point have a performance, somebody who has a degree in sports or performance psychology uh, who works for them, who really, really a lot of what, what happens is you're trying to work on mind-body connection. Um, and that's a big portion of, of, of what performance experts do is we try to figure out you know, get you in the zone. Everybody's heard the terminology, you know, I was in the zone, but did you fumble into success or did you march into it intentionally? So a lot of, a lot of the stuff that I would talk about, um, and this, a lot of the stuff that you and I and, and Rob have talked about is related to that. Like, how do we, how do we understand where we are at our best? How do we, how do we get there more intentionally? And are there pregame stuff that we can do to get us there? Um, and I believe the answer specifically as it relates to photography and specifically as it relates to creativity is absolutely. Um, there's a lot of things that we can do to get us to, to being in the right frame of mind so that when we start performing, you know, we're, we're there, we're on our A game. Um, examples might be, you know, Rob, I've, I've been fortunate enough to watch him shoot for a client and. You know, he's starting setup long before the client gets there. He's starting oh, yeah. visual long before the client gets there. Uh, kind of has an idea from talking to them ahead of time what they're going to ultimately want. But, you know, there's a photo that exists that they can see from the moment that they walk in the door. It wasn't that process probably began in your mind weeks before the set started coming together. Um, and, and you for sure have a demonstrable mental process that you go through that ends up producing results. Is the growth and fixed mindset, is there research that I guess looks at, you know, 
how you got in either one? Is it, are you a product of your environment? Is it a lot of your, whether you went to school, is it your parents? Like, where does it come from? How do you get into either one of them? Absolutely. So a lot of it comes from the way that we receive feedback, even, you know, our whole lives. Um, You know, we often praise when we're looking at children, we often praise their results uh, and we don't care so much as their about their effort. So, um, you know, specifically, like when I'm praising my kids, I, you know, let's say my kid just climbed to the top of the ladder at the playground. He's he's a two year old. So he gets there instead of saying, oh, you did such a good job, kiddo. Way to go. You know, thumbs up. I tend to say find a bigger ladder, you little shit. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not no, old one. Oh, but I okay. say, you know, like, I, I, I really like the effort that you put into that. Uh, I could see that you were a little nervous halfway up, but you kept going. You were really persistent. Mm-hmm. Uh, so really praising what got him there, not that he got there. If that makes sense. It does. Actually, there's a, a husband and wife team of uh, child psychologists that have always come to uh, my kid's school. And with the fourth to sixth grade girls in particular, they really work with, with them a lot on empowerment. But they, they work with all the parents and everybody. And one of the things that they've always said is not just to praise your kid and say, I'm so proud of you, but to turn it on the child. And when, they, when they've achieved something and say, you must be really proud of what you've done. Absolutely. So that, that way the child has ownership of it and they understand that they did something, not that they did something that we respond to, but something that they should be feel positive and proud that they did themselves let's pick up with feedback let's let's talk about how people tend to view feedback if they're if they're fixed mindset or growth mindset because i think i think this is the biggest thing i see in our industry is you know people who are fixed mindsets when they get feedback on it they tend to get really defensive and they take it super personally Mm -hmm. Um, and a growth mindset individual takes feedback you know obviously looks at the source uh, you know I, i'm not going to take feedback especially in the internet age from anybody and not look at the source but a growth mindset person tends to look at feedback as something that's useful uh something that they can learn from uh, and tend to identify areas from that feedback in which they can improve but you know i think we can all agree we've seen it in our community we've seen it on multiple facebook groups where somebody asks for a critique critique is provided and then immediately they're just like oh i shot it that way on purpose or uh you know they just they get really defensive they start mouthing off to people and before long you have this little troll fight back and forth um so that's that's kind of a another way to look at fixed and growth mindset specifically as it relates to getting feedback um and as as we all know i mean feedback is is critical especially if it's from a source that is educated there's somebody you look up to now i will say and this this goes for all the instructors that i've seen across almost across the board but a lot of times in groups uh whether it's you know inside our group and one of the instructors jumps in and says something or whether it's in one of the other million photography related groups often I think instructors give feedback that's too nice and you know every photo is that's great um i'm guilty of that i know that it's not real and and it's very quickly you know anybody who's paying attention can very quickly see through it 
and realize that, you know, yeah, I mean, you, Rob, I mean, well, now that you mentioned it, I'll, I'll call it out. Like, you know, your live feedback critique the other day, I, I was texting you afterwards and was right. like, you know, is, is every one of those what you said or, you know, are you too afraid to... Rob's on the hot seat. Well, no, he, I, I agree with him in, in in the sense that I'm very conscious because I don't want to discourage people. But I also, at the same time, I'm pointing out every tangent, things I don't like. I'm saying what I don't like about it. But then I usually do wrap it up with a good job, um, nice right. shot, or that's a solid shot. I say solid shot a lot. Right. Right. Um, right. That's my deal. And people have to take a shot every time you say tangent. They do, and they get it's really drunk. They get, bla- they get blasted drunk, which is great because they probably can't remember th- at the end that I'm saying that's a nice, solid shot. So hopefully they'll remember. But and I, I think- was split after the line critique. That was that was rough. Well, that's how it goes. But seriously, it's hard. I I, I don't know. Is it hard to critique? Because I I do feel like you tell me. I I do feel like I'm pointing out flaws and I'm telling people where I think that the right. things are not good. But, but you. And I think you can you can maybe what you're looking for is a chance to praise something, and you can certainly praise the effort without necessarily saying that the whole thing is solid. Because clearly, I don't know. Let's say if if you're giving ten points and eight of them were critique, and two of them were like, but I like this. Was the whole image really solid at that point? Um, you know, and that's just yeah. to add some kind of numerical, arbitrary numerical value to it, but. Um, you know, you could still be like, you know, you know, obviously, you know, you put a lot of effort into this. You, you wasn't something you just slapped together. So you're encouraging somebody to try again without giving them our, you know, fake phrase. Yeah. I think I need to rephrase it because, um, I am saying things like solid shot and that's my default. And, uh, and I think I'm very conscious of creating that sandwich where, um, and when you're criticizing, um, pointing out flaws, you want to show strength, talk about strengths then the weaknesses and then wrap it with strength so that people don't feel like they've just gotten beaten to death, you know? Um, so there, I think that that does play into my approach with them. The, com- the compliment sandwich. Yeah. I don't like the compliment sandwich. Well, it's not so much a, com- it's not a compliment. Start sandwich. with it's, a positive, then get the negative, then do a positive again. I see that shit coming from a mile it's away. A, it's, it's, like, a, it's not, fuck uh, your buns. <laughs> give me the meat. It's a, cri- it's just a criticism, that. but you're also talking about what's good and what's not. There's, do you know? All right, so there's four ways to give feedback. Okay. You want to hear? You want to hear about them, Rob? Sure. Grimm? Let's hear about them. All right. Positive general, positive specific, negative general, negative specific. Okay. Nice shot, bro. Positive general. All right. I really like right. that shot because the light wraps around and brings out the tones in the label. Positive specific. Same thing with don't like the shot. Negative general doesn't really do much for mm-hmm. you. Same thing. It's just as damaging to give a nice shot feedback. So like when you give criticism in a way that's just like so general, it doesn't help anyone in any way of like what was good about it. And even to expand um, on is what I've learned as an instructor over the decade that I've been a teacher now is that what ends up happening is that your students sometimes, not all the time, but some people will start to fail because they get more of your attention if you give if you give someone more feedback because something was screwed up you know if they fumbled into success if they don't exactly know why this image is great they they look at it and they're like yeah this is a good image i just don't i don't know what's necessarily speaking to me if you don't give that specific feedback that you give 
for something that's good the same way that you do as something that's bad, then somebody who fumbled into something successfully doesn't learn from it, if that makes sense. I think so. Definitely. But I correct me if I'm wrong. I, I am pointing out a lot of the, of, of the things that people need to improve on. Oh, absolutely. I mean, so I don't, let, I'm not. Let me ask you, do, am, I, am I talking about it too long? Because I know when I do these critiques, you know, I'm doing like 20 images and it'll take a couple hours because right. I feel like I'm talking about every image in absolute detail, every edge of it, like where my eye is going corner to corner yeah. to corner. I mean, sometimes you, there's there's definitely been a few. And I wish I I I didn't honestly didn't think about it when we were going through the critique last time to start writing stuff down until probably three fourths of the way through. But that's why I immediately was writing you is because I was like, well, there's sometimes where you're just hey, this is a great shot. I don't I don't even I don't even, I think you said that one time. I don't even really know where to go with this one. And, and you did give it some positive feedback, but you didn't spend nearly as long because I think there just wasn't a lot in your mind to correct or even really beyond like, hey, this is this is this light, this is this. Um, so reinforce the, yeah. Yeah, so talk about the positive, not reinforce the positive, but talk about what's working. Yeah, all right, I got it. I got a question. You ready? Sure. I'm gonna yeah. fire this one in hot. All right, so I see this time and time again in a lot of photography groups. There's a lot of lurkers, people that, in, you know, they're in a lot of groups, they spend a lot of time looking at groups, but they never post. And I think Correct. a lot of them aren't commenting because they haven't posted yet, so they don't have that, that bank of like, all right, I've been posting it and commenting. So how can someone who is just deathly afraid to make a post, you know, get in that mindset of like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make my first post. I'm gonna ask for uh, critique. And what's the the, uh, in your opinion, the most appropriate way to ask for critique? There's a moth I in mean, here. Do you see this? Yeah. I think the see way that, that you shadow would ask it created, Sean. Hold on, Gary's distracted by a tiny moth. Hit it over to Rob. <laughs> no, it's flying over there. Oh. <laughs> Just hit Rob with the moth. <laughs> Let's play ping pong with it. It's <laughs> hard to hit. Yeah, I know. All right. Just caught a little of it. All right. Can you over here? Yeah. Can you over here. He's I got over it. there now. Moth interruption. Yeah, sorry. This moth interruption was brought to you by Wisconsin. So I think it's the way that you view setbacks, which is actually the last part of this whole mindset thing, too, is if you view setbacks as just an opportunity as a wake-up call for you to look at it and say hey you know you're right that feedback is valid um but i think the biggest thing that we get wrapped up into is that is fear you know i mean that's what holds people back from posting that's what it's this this negative comparison i just i don't match up to you so i won't even step up to the plate and I think a lot of times people, you know, people are comparing themselves to somebody's, I don't know, like you're looking at Leibovitz's work and she's now 40 years into the game and you're in your fifth year, but you're somehow thinking that you should be where she is at in your five years. Uh, like that, that doesn't happen. Nobody, nobody does that. Nobody picks up a camera and it five seconds later is, is at the top of the game. Um, so I think a lot of times that negative comparison comes in. But I think when you're asking for a critique, you just have to be very honest with yourself. Like, I'm not going to be here 
but the feedback that I'm going to get is going to be extremely valid. I have to take it, learn from it, and try the whole image again. And that's that's probably the biggest thing is I think that often people don't set up the same image again. They try to move on to something new where the last image is really where you need to stay at. Yeah, I, I mean, like I, I said, here's to paint one painting. I see that a lot. And people in the audience are not going back and actually reworking. They, they read the criticism or they hear the criticism, but then they don't go back and attempt it again. They just go on to something else thinking that, okay, well, I'm going to apply it the next time versus going back right. and re. So it's like you got to go back and redo the math problem, right? You can't, just, you can't just learn that you did the math problem wrong and then say, okay, well, on a different problem, I'm going to do it right. You got to get the math problem right. Right, because uh, the next problem isn't even the same problem. It's got yeah. new numbers. New, new quotation. It's completely different. The other thing I think I see people do um, when they ask for criticism or critique, uh, when it, they're first time posting, they always say, "Hey, first time I've ever posted in here." Like, it's almost like they're asking people to be gentle with them. Right. Um, you know, I, at least I. That's the way I read a lot of people's stuff, and it's like, oh, that's a that's a hard one. Um, because you want you want good good feedback. It's it's it. Yeah. It takes a lot to give good feedback, though. Like, and that's why I see so many people default to the positive generals because it's like so easy to type "nice shot," but to sit there and to then like think about it and then write several paragraphs and then like keep up with the thread, it just takes so much First time and all, it's hard to do. A lot of people also don't know. They don't have enough experience. They can't. If they, if they don't know what a really good photograph is, they know more what's cool and what they react to viscerally than really understand what makes a good photograph. That's a problem. And I think a lot of that is in the culture that we generate too. I mean, you know, we've, we've talked about it. People, people tend to default to the nicety because they think that's what our culture demands, that if they are mean in the forums that they're going to get booted. Uh, but I mean, honestly, I think if, even in our, if our, in our community and there are in the pro edu community, if we could agree that like feedback is a positive thing and, you know, there's going to come a time when you post your image that you're going to want it. So you need to dedicate the time to the community to also give it. Uh, and if you're not willing to give it, then you shouldn't be receiving it either. But I think we really need to foster that in the community and just realize that, you know, hey, some of this critique is going to be harsh and it's going to maybe make you think really hard and also start encouraging people to go back and do this same shot again don't move on to the next thing go back and do the same shot again because right. it's not where you want it to be it makes like, me wonder, don't give up it makes me wonder how many people tear their sets down or just completely move on and I know when you're when you're dealing with models with, with people as subjects it's very difficult because they're not still going to be on set um, but I know when I was growing up in the photo business I mean we would leave sets up for days and you would come back and tweak it and tweak it once you'd see the film and you'd go, sheesh, I don't like this area. And you go back and tweak it right. and shoot more film and wait for that to be processed and come back. I mean, it could take, you know, three days, four days to make a shot. Yeah. I mean, I know in my, especially when I'm shooting at home, my sets, even with models, tend to stay up for a long time. In case you want to come back uh, to it. Yeah, because there's sometimes I do. Sometimes I've, I've looked at the photos afterwards um, realize I missed focus or something, you know, I don't know, my, my lens was locked into something else and everything screwed up and I just ask people to come back, you know, especially right. if, it's, if it's a fun thing. Uh, but I usually leave things up for a few days just 
just also so I can document in my mind where everything was, uh, you know, and, and what led to if I knocked it out of the park. And this this is another area outside of of mindset completely that I think a lot of people screw up is, you know, when you when you fail at something, you tend to tear it all apart. You will get you'll get knee deep in how you failed. But when you when you get a winning image, when you knocked it out of the park, so many people just run away with the trophy, with the winning image, and they never stop to think about, you know, what did I do this day that was different? Uh, how was I thinking while I was shooting? How did I physically feel while I was shooting? Uh, what kind of music was I listening to? Um, you know, what what led to everything clicking and coming into place? Because that's really the, where the re repeatability lives. That's where the secret to success really lives is in understanding both, you know, where your mind, where your mind is at, physiologically, where you're at, how you felt in the moment, all of that is the secret to getting into the zone. But if you never think about it, particularly when you were successful, how do you know how to repeat it? How do you know what that feeling feels like? You're talking about state dependent learning. Well, I mean, you, yeah, if you're in a learning state, but I'm saying even if you're in a, in a go phase, like if you're, if you're shooting for a client and you knocked it out of the park, are you stopping to capture all that data? That's interesting because I, you know, I've always stopped to capture my set. I document my set. I measure the distance of my camera from the floor and from the subject and where the lights are. I'll photograph them and I'll write down all my power settings. I've never thought about the music. I've never thought about uh, like the ancillary stuff. Like what were the clients like? What kind of challenges were they giving me? What was that relationship work like? What was what was the crew like? I've never really thought that I should document that, but I'm hearing you yeah, say I mean, that I should. Are you, where's your mental? Where's your mind at? Well, you know, what did I mean? I I would I like to even get into you know did I do something different outside of my normal morning routine? Did I did I drink a different coffee today? I mean everything because hmm. you know sometimes you just unlock something that everything works. Where I mean we've all had that day where we we basically wake up and we play the perfect playlist and the day just you know by the time you hit work everything just seems to be clicking and popping but why is that day so much different than every other day uh and i think that becomes the secret to repeatable success all right i got a question about processing feedback and i'll, I'll use an example of how people rate our tutorials about 80 percent of the ratings that we get that come in for tutorials are five stars and about 10% of them are four stars. And the, the feedback, a lot of it is, uh, for the most part, like I said earlier, positive general. But when we look at the overwhelmingly positive what people liked, I then compare that to the one, two, and three stars that we get. And I'm always looking for ways to improve how to make our tutorials right. better. Like that's, that's just something we always talk about, like every single day. How do we make them better? And then when we get feedback that you know was is for a specific tutorial and it's like you didn't give enough examples but when the majority of the feedback or we didn't do enough photo shoots uh to provide examples we felt we like we did the majority of people are giving us a good rating how do we process that the min the minority of people a small amount of people that are saying you did this wrong and it was very negative specific i mean I think everything comes, all feedback comes with a grain of salt. Like, again, you have to consider the source. But if if the mass majority of your population said X and you had one 
divergent. You have that one person who's just like, I'm rebelling against all this and this is why. I'm not saying that you ignore their feedback, but at a, you, you, as we all know, anybody in business knows, you cannot make everybody happy. It cannot be done. No, it's so unless you're going to be like, okay, well, we're going to go back to the drawing board, film five more shots and just send them to you alone, then you're, you know, some people are going to be unhappy about something. I mean, especially in the Yelp age, uh, you know, people will complain about, they'll always find something to complain about. And there are those people who just see the world as a really sucky place and they're unhappy. They're not happy unless they're unhappy. Um, so I think specific feedback you have to analyze, but you also just have to analyze it for, I guess what I would call the nuggets of truth. Uh, if you look at any Yelp review, you know, people are going to, whether negative or positive, they're going to go through this huge list of things that they liked or didn't like. But within that, there's going to be a lot of fluff. And when you cut away that fluff, there's just that one nugget that you're like, okay, this is an actionable thing. Um, Did you know they have power Yelp reviewer meetups in every city where Yelp identifies power users that give like a ton of reviews and like send them to like a happy hour to all just get together and did not know that. Criticize. Yeah. All right. So David, you, you've, you've actually spent thousands of dollars on tutorials with us throughout the years. Absolutely. What is your feedback now? How do we make our tutorials better? <laughs> this is a loaded question. No, yeah, it's not. It give us, no, don't no, give me the shit no, sandwich either with something positive no, first. Just I'm, give me I'm the fucking meat right off the bat. So Good. there's a few, things. I think, I think, and this is the this is the soldier in me, uh, just to be clear. But I love terminal learning objectives. I wish that each segment started with the instructor saying, "Here's what you're going to learn from this section," and then at the end of that section, they say, "Hey, from this, this is the key point you should have taken away. If you do not have this key point from this thing, go back and watch again. Don't go to the next section. Don't level go up. This." And then I really wish they would assign homework per section because I don't have the raw data that you guys have. But my belief is the mass majority of tutorial watchers of of your tutorial watchers aren't actually even setting up the sets that they see in the tutorial. They're they're not they're not even actioning it properly. And, and more than likely, the way that they're consuming the tutorial isn't isn't in an effective learning strategy. They're probably editing on one screen with a tutorial playing, playing over here that they yeah. because everybody in America believes that multitasking is a real thing. It's not. Science says it. Um, like, and, All right, so wait, so, develop that. So multi, don't multitask? No. No, focus. No, not at all. <laughs> multitasking is the great American lie. Uh, and, and I know that there's going to be people that are having very visceral responses and they listen to this. But if you think about your brain as a computer, the more tasks that you have open, the more everything slows down, right? Um, and the reason that that happens often, especially as our brains are, are concerned, is we might think that if I'm doing two tasks, 50% of my brain is on this task and the other 50% is on this task. But the reality is more along the lines of 20% of your brain power is on this task, 20% is on this task, and the other 60% is trying to switch back and forth between the two. All right, so, so let's define multitasking. This is 
like what do you mean by like doing two things at once because you can't do two things at once so so some things you can do two things at once especially things that involve muscle memory like you can chew bubble gum and walk at the same time because that's muscle memory there are certain things that you can do uh but let's say if you're trying to absorb the material in a tutorial and you're editing at the same time the brain capacity that it takes to do both of those things to even listen and store somewhere beyond your short-term memory that, that you're just not going to be able to do that you're going to be too distracted or giving too much attention to one or the other so either you're going to have a really crappy picture or you're going to absorb no information from the tutorial okay so we're, we're talking about learning and doing something else at the same time what about yeah. working well, what about doing like things a lot, that a lot of different ways and i know i know you're a big fan of multitasking so you're probably one of those people that's having a visceral response to what I'm saying. No, I'm just, I, I want to learn more about what you're talking about. Cause you know, for me, multitasking is, um, you know, having a lot of browsers open at once, whether it's right. responding to emails while also, you know, just doing so, some sort of yeah. research, just like small, you know, things that don't require a lot of brain power and thought that just need to get right. done, you know, on a day to day basis, there's a lot of they, that. They a ton of brain power but they require more than you think and also when let's say you're answering emails but at the same time you keep jumping over to another screen to read little amounts of research you'll probably find yourself reading the same sentences over and over again mm -hmm. or you'll find yourself making critical mistakes in the typing of the email you're probably writing out something and then deleting it or accidentally sending an email to the wrong person because your, again, your brain just doesn't really work that way. We want it to, but you're missing information somewhere, if that makes sense. So I should, so everyone should plan out their day, what, by the hour or until that one task is done and then move to the next one? I mean, there's a lot to be said for planning. I, I you know, even in the way I consume tutorials, for instance, I, I develop all tutorials into what I call a power hour, which is literally a planned process that lasts for one hour and that's how I consume tutorials. Like it is, it is a step-by-step, -step, like five-step process that I go through every single time. It look actually, I have a look. It, well, it looks pretty bad right now. This is how I consume tutorials. This is one for Chris Knight. Just pulled it out of my notebook. Like literally, how I consume tutorials. So you you set that up specifically for the Chris Knight tutorial. Yeah. So this that's one is specific. Chris Knight's tutorial. Okay, that's not so, templated for every tutorial. This is how you're going to do it. You break them down each time. Specifically, right. So, like, I mean, I'll give you an example since I know it's, it's going to be impossible for everybody to see and there's obviously a podcast element involved. But step one is prepare to learn. All right, so you have to tell yourself, like, I'm going to school. I approach all tutorials the same way as I would a workshop. I've paid a lot of money because I have to learn from this. And if I'm going to learn from it, I need to make sure that my environment is set up just like it would be for a workshop. I've put away distractions. Again, tons of people keep their phone on them. If it's your learning time, like I'm in school, that's it. Um, so like in this one that I have written out, I just happened to have for Chris Knights, it says, I'll sit on my, on my couch in my office with my iPad and a notebook, phone and others are not present in the room. All right. So that's my prepare to learn phase. And step one, it's set my intention. So the first two to five minutes of that hour, I'm going to set my intentions. What am I trying to get out of the next hour? And for that, I wrote down, I'm watching pose two of, of the Don Quixote shoot 
I'm focusing on the narrative aspect of the storytelling through photography. So again, I'm not even looking at the lighting. I'm not looking at anything. The only thing that I want to do right now is focus on the narrative aspect of the, of, and the storytelling of his photography. That's all I care about. And then the next five minutes of that hour, I'm establishing my actions. And my actions are what specifically do I, do I need to do or look at? And I wrote down, I'm watching for narrative aspects of the set and posing in the model as well as camera angles while ignoring lighting or camera settings. Next step, learn with a purpose. So for the next 30 minutes, I'm doing nothing but concentrating, all right? I'm and I wrote down, note-taking is completely focused on the model, the set, and the angles. I'm looking at what speaks to me as well as meets the criteria of the story Chris has stated that he is trying to tell. Every five minutes, I will pause the video to ask myself what I might do differently in this moment. Next step, review your progress. So the next 10 minutes after that, I'm gonna review my progress. This is where I review my notes. If I don't understand the note that I made, I'm immediately gonna refocus and rewrite this particular note so that I can get clarity while everything is in focus and in my short-term memory. Then after that, the next 10 minutes, take a break, walk away from the computer completely, leave the office, stretch, grab a snack, and then you're ready to start all over again. That's how I approach each and every hour of a tutorial. I'm gonna start approaching Friday nights like this, Rob. <laughs> were, you, were you thinking what I was thinking? No. Six o'clock hits. I'm gonna sit down, <laughs> get rid of all this work, crack a beer, and only <laughs> drink this beer for the next five minutes. Yeah, I mean it's right? it's focused. Was later, that a Pepsi? Are you a another. Pepsi guy instead of Coke? No, do you do well, I'm at grandma's, dude. I don't have a choice. Oh, the Pepsi Pepsi was provided. At all often. You know it's bullshit? I was at a concert the other week and I ordered a Jack and Coke, took one sip of it, and I was like, What the hell is this? Pepsi. And he's like, it, it's Pepsi. And I'm like, I said a Jack and well, who what? <laughs> it's the worst. Things happen. So I, I got a question about that. Yes, sir. Um you set out with great intention to learn from that hour in the tutorial. How do you decide and know everything you want to get out of that section of the tutorial when you haven't viewed it yet? And you don't necessarily know what's in it. Where where are you making that decisions of what you're gonna get out of it? With your guys' tutorials, usually there's an introduction that tells me what's about to happen. Yeah. So like, if you look at the Chris Knight tutorial, and this is just pulling it from memory. Um, when he started talking about the second pose of the Don Coyote shoot, he was introducing what he was wanting to do there. So I often am looking for in tutorials, maybe I guess the unintended message or the message that the instructor is stating without directly telling you this is what, because you guys don't have that element of this is what you're supposed to learn here. I'm listening for that. I'm listening for, hey, this is what I'm hoping to get here. And as soon as I identify that, I'm setting down and I'm writing out what I'm going to do for that particular thing. And I also watch your tutorials on average three times. So the first time is usually just to get a brief run through. I don't take notes. I'm just getting a feel for what everything is. So by the time I'm writing a power hour, I've already seen the tutorial once. Uh, and this is usually my second walkthrough is when I'm doing okay. this particular thing. Second or third is when I'm getting into a power hour. That makes sense. It's like Shakespeare. You have to read Shakespeare three times. Do you? Yeah. You have to read it once for plot because you have to understand the story. You have to read it once for character and you have to read it once for language because his language is so complex and his plots are complex. That Ye are right, Rob. I am Ye right. Ye are right. 
I am right. And uh, it might have been breaking up, but are you calling him Don Coyote? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. Because I think we should call him Don Coyote from now on. Don Coyote. <laughs> I feel like that could be my alter ego, Don Coyote. It could be I think that is your alter ego, yeah. actually, yeah. Well, um, Sean's, Sean, yeah, no, that's Sean's, because Sean's uh, spirit animal is a gangly coyote. A gangly coyote? Yeah, that's his spirit animal. Why is it gangly? That's actually the shirt we should make him for the Pro-EDU Animal House shirt. Oh, it's just a gangly coyote. coyote. That's his house. It's a weak and shriveled. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so pathetic. David, I know you have some strong thoughts on the uh, the ten thousand hours. Yeah. Can you, uh, for people who don't know what that is, kind of talk about that, and then what's your opinion on that? All right. Well, I mean that that kind of goes to back to you know I got I gave you guys an outline before we started this, and that goes back to one of the points I was talking about in why people should still take workshops and or do tutorials, but. Basically, obviously, the 10,000-hour rule made famous by Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell, Gladwell in The Outliners. Um, and he said that basically it takes 10,000 hours or 10 years to become a master in any given art form in anything. So it takes about 10,000 hours, 10 years to do that. Um, the research is stolen. Uh, it's not his. And he failed Ooh. to articulate it properly. It was a French and, guy, right? That came up. Uh, yeah. No, Ander, he's uh, he's lived in America forever. I don't know. I don't think he's French. Oh, I thought he was. He's a European, but I don't think he's French. Uh, but Erickson is the guy whose research it is, and he's pretty much the world's expert on experts. Uh, and Ooh. he did say that it takes approximately 10,000 hours, but there's tons of ways to shortcut it. Um, one being what the photography community has long ago forgotten, uh, and that's learning underneath somebody else. And I know, you know, we're, we've all had this discussion now on whether or not anybody is left who can be a self-taught photographer. Uh, oh, don't get the, me started on that. That was so much better moving forward. <laughs> the sun was strobing yeah. through the trees. I'm going to look, I, you know, I was told to look at the camera, so I just now noticed that there's a big, the sun is setting behind me. So. <laughs> yeah. But so I actually, to talk about this 10,000 hour rule, we saw the other day when Rob was doing his online photo critiques, there was a photo submitted by Anna Smith, Tony Smith's daughter. Yeah, 17 right, year so old girl. She's 15 years old, right? And 15, submitted. Yeah, 15. Yeah, I think she's 15 and submitted an amazing photo. But. What does she have that probably your average 15-year-old who's picked up the camera in the last couple of years doesn't have? A father who's a photographer and access to a lot of information on photography that's already in her brain. So she has, yeah, she's been watching photography probably her entire life. Uh, and whether or not she knows it, she has taken in a lot of data from that. She has a built-in coach who has twice the amount of experience that she probably has on the planet. And so her her 10,000 hours is automatically getting cut down because, again, whether or not she realizes that she's probably been in school for photography her entire life. Uh, she has been taking in information, hearing dinner conversations between her parents, talking about mistakes. Uh, of course, when her dad teaches her, just like any apprentice or any teacher teaching an apprentice, he's not going to teach her any of the things that he screwed up. So 
she gets to jump over the mistakes directly. He's only going to teach her the ways that he succeeded. And that's why we tend to see apprentices get better with each generation of people. Um, Can I be devil's advocate? Sure. She's 15. She's she's been exposed to this her entire life. So hasn't she had that 10 years, that 10,000 hours? Has she practiced? I mean, she's got 10,000 hours of exposure, but the 10,000 hours is actually of doing. Of doing, yeah. Beyond that, if you look at uh, the original research, he said it had to be purposeful practice. So we've all probably met those people, especially in the photography community, who have 10,000 hours of shooting, but they still suck. Why? Because if you practice something the same way, you don't challenge yourself. Uh, you you are afraid of critique. You live in your little bubble. You never get better. You've got 10,000 hours, but you haven't improved because you're not actually doing anything to improve. You're, you're not practicing purposely. You're just repeating. Right, and, and repeating and bad habits is a bad problem, right? Yeah, absolutely. All right. But we see it all the time. Absolutely. You, you brought up the term self-taught photographer earlier. Yeah. I made a post about that the other day, and I said there's no such thing as a self-taught photographer, just to see how polarizing and, and whose views were where. What's your what's your viewpoint on that? On that, word? I don't think it's taught anymore. I think I think the only way you can truly be self-taught is if you're going out, nobody's explaining anything about the machine, and you're just in the army. We would call it fumble fucking your way into success. Uh, and if you're not if you're not fumble fucking your way into success and and basically shooting and being like, well, that didn't work. What's next? If you never get on YouTube, you never buy a tutorial. Which if you're in our community, you bought a tutorial. Uh, that's the only way you can be self-taught, in my opinion, is if you, ha- I mean, the, the beauty of ProEDU, the thing that I love about it, and the reason why I've been in this community since 2014, <clears throat> um, it <laughs> is because, like, we have access to the world's best instructors. I mean, and that's not a, that's not a promotional plug. It's just the truth. You know, we have, I actually joined, as you guys know, not, not to necessarily learn photography skills, I was actually researching what what elite performers were doing differently. Like I I love the early tutorials where it showed more of people like screwing up and then being like, huh, uh, where you know you would hear people talk to themselves and just be like, well that didn't work. Let me let me tweak this. And and I got to hear all of all that stuff really turned my crank. Uh, because I got to hear what elite performers do, even the self-talk that that that's what I'm interested in. I want to I want to learn about what habits people have that make them successful, uh, how they how they function differently than the rest of us. So I think that's an example of some of the feedback we were getting that was more on like the 50 50 side. So early on, if, if you've taken some of our earlier tutorials, we would shoot for seven to 10 days and make like a 20 to 25 hour tutorial. And I think we got some feedback, not a lot that said, you know, make them shorter because we want to encourage people to, to approach a tutorial and feel like they can finish it and not be like, Oh fuck, that's 25 hours of, of time. So like, right. we made that decision to like expedite a lot of the photo shoots and not, you know, uh, watch the lighting setup and the breakdown and like, fumble through shots and try and get there. I like, I personally like that. And I know everyone learns differently, 
But now, you know, our tutorials have gotten easier to consume. The information's still there. We still shoot just about as much, but we're cutting out more in order to make them more expedited because it feels like we have to be providing these like super dense uh, information, uh, you know, tutorials that you can learn from quickly because it's all about speed now, right? Well, I think that's the mistake. I mean, again, if you're if if you were accepting the ten thousand hour rule, yes, you can fast forward it, but the truth is in my opinion, if we go back to old school methodology, the way that people tended to learn was to be glued to somebody else's hip. And you're watching everything that they do step by step by step. And that's how you learn. The The, the reality is, is, I think we need to go back to learning like children learn. A, a toddler, I mean, on my an daughter, iPad. right now, my daughter will fall down a thousand times just trying to get up on her hands and knees so that she can crawl and never think twice about it. She's gonna fail over and over and over again and never think twice about it. She has no shame in it, she has no guilt in it. Her, she will continue the same efforts over and over and over again. And I think that as adults, we tend to get wrapped up in the successes. Like, if I pick up a pencil, if I'm meant to draw, I'm gonna do it in the next 10 minutes. And the reality is, is that's that's not true. It's not going to be. It's never been true in human history. And until we can be plugged into the matrix and have information uploaded, it never will be true. Right. So, if you think shortening a tutorial just so that people can get instant access and get through it faster, you're consuming tutorials the wrong way. You're if you think that's going to get you results, you're you're thinking about it the wrong way. And you're missing all all those gems of just like. Of like Eric almost like okay why isn't this working let me think about it let and you see his wheel spinning and he's self talking and he's he's moving himself through the process that's what I love yeah and that's but what it, pros do yeah and I want to see that I right. want to see what a professional photographer what he really really does uh, and and that's what teaches me because I since I can't. Since the world of assisting is basically gone and I can't be glued to somebody's hip and, and because fear, in my opinion, I mean, this is what I was talking, wanted to talk to you about, Rob, was how fear probably overtook the, the industry a long time ago. But, um, you know, since, since I don't have that opportunity to glue myself to and learn from somebody directly, I only have one option and and that's where I thought the early tutorials were just gold. That's really interesting. We've, t we've talked a lot about it. I mean, I think that there's so much value in just watching a photographer shoot. Just, I think so. Just, like, see their whole process. Um, it's, it's not as It's impossible uh, to set up all these different scenarios and teach everything, but, like, letting somebody see an entire shoot um, is definitely interesting. We d I think it, it, it... But a lot of it depends on people's mindsets. Some people... You're probably one of only a handful of people that have actually watched the entire 25 hours of Almas. I guarantee you, a lot of other people scrub through it. Three you know? times. Yeah, <laughs> that's 75 hours, right? Yeah. I mean, that's dedication. Um, but I mean, and and the, and the truth is, is like even with even with Almas, like if somebody went to go look for my work and were like, "Where is that 75 hours infused?" And I was just actually just talking to Kate Woodman about this the other day. Uh, it hasn't been really infused in my work because, like, I've, I love the idea of composites, but I haven't got into them at all. Uh, mm -hmm. And since he's composite heavy, it still just doesn't, 
exist in my world. Like, I just don't have it um, there at all. All right. So since we've switched and now have added, we didn't switch, but we've added streaming. Uh, the And we specifically chose Wistia because we have really advanced analytics because we were curious. Are people finishing these long ones? Of course, we can pull people, but nothing right. is going to give us the data to be able to make a, a, a decision like are people actually finishing which tutorials and at what rate? So, so we've been letting it run for months. So we're going to have the ability to look at, you know, are people finishing Eric Lamas's at what percentage versus uh, one that's four to six hours? Yeah, and, and a lot of that data is probably gone on the original people who bought it and downloaded. So uh, potentially some of that's gone. But I would, I mean, I would be massively interested in that data uh, just to see where people pause, what they watch over and over again. Um, I, I mean, I think that's that's where the nuggets of truth are in, you know. And and even for instructing, this is a, a little tangent, but, you know, because we got to get that in there. But uh, even instructors, I mean, you know, I, I, I had a college teacher tell me one time, you know, what happens when we stop looking at our students as less than and start considering them to be geniuses, we start teaching up instead of teaching down. And there's a there's a few instructors I think that really teach up and teach at their level. And there's other people that are teaching for the lowest common denominator and they're trying to cater to that. I think the catering is a mistake. But I think instructors also have to have the mindset of, you know, their resume, their students work is their resume. Uh, so if you look in some photography groups, there's been some instructors who clearly have resonated with the audience because the body of work by far in that group drastically increased as a result of them releasing a video or releasing a tutorial. And, and I think all instructors also have to be in the mindset of that needs to be their game. Uh, they need to be they need to be thinking about grooming people because their resume depends on it. I mean, if, if, if you're a workshop teacher and I go to look at all the people who claim to have taken your workshop and none of them have gotten better, do you think I want to sign up for your workshop? I'm good. Same thing with tutorials. You know, if nobody gets better off of them, how, how many do you want to buy some? Yeah. Okay. Here's a question for you. How many how many people do you think are at your level where they're actually analyzing that? Are there are, you know, you may be going and and seeking out students of a instructor to see their website and how good they are. But I guarantee you, ma the majority of people aren't. I don't think they're now, doing that. I I tend to believe. I tend to believe that's that's true too. But I think we all. You know, we talk about it a lot with pricing, uh, talking about making a, a drastic cultural change and bringing people under our wings so that we can stop the bleed out in our community. Why aren't we doing the same with how people learn? Why aren't we trying to say, you know, what, hey, critiques isn't that big of a deal. Um, you're not going to die. Uh, why aren't we trying to adapt um, and have these conversations? Like we're having a real conversation right now about these things, but there's... There's so many, I mean, there's probably more than I can talk about in an hour plus with you guys about the mistakes I, I see people making just being that lurker that Gary was talking about earlier and watching how people interact in these forums across the board. I mean, like, like Gary said, I've, I've not only dumped thousands of dollars into you guys, 
I have a membership to Sue Bryce's thing. I bought Laura Jade's all of her crap. I don't want to say crap. It's don't say not that. Bad. Uh, all of her I bought, courses. Crap in a good all way. Stuff. So I have tons of creative live videos. Rest in peace. Uh, now that's crap. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but in general, you know, like it was just our. It was the tutorial we did. That's the one you bought from Crave Live. I did. I do have that actually. Uh, but. You know, I, I, I've tried to consume a ton of stuff. And so I'm, I'm taking in all of this from a research perspective. And I think that there's a lot to be said about how people learn or don't learn and, and what what products are good. And, and, you know, without kissing ass, there's a reason why I've stuck around in this group yeah. for five plus years. Yeah. So a question, because we've we've touched on on quite a few of these things and you just said we could talk for more than an hour and a half which we probably have already talked about um do we want to break this up and come back and give people almost like an outline of here's what you need to do like let's should we break it down step by step for people to sounds like we should have david go back to all of our tutorials and make like a pdf that comes with it you should be learning (laughs) this since you've already watched them and then like here's the assignment i mean there should assignments there really should i mean a lot of them a lot of them do but we didn't start yeah. doing that until kind of later. It kind of depended yeah. on the production. It wasn't well, consistent. I, listen, we've evolved too. When we when we first started, we also made every photographer shoot with like every kind of camera in the world, you know, to show accessibility that it wasn't about. I mean, we've we've totally. I still changed. think that's. I still think that's a good idea. No way! It's a terrible idea. You want to see what the way a photographer works in their natural environment? Depends on the tutorial. I, as an instructor, I hated it. I hated working with a crappy camera well, that I was never going to use. All right, so Rob Grimm's shooting with Hasselblad H, whatever. It's that's, just my that's a tool. thirty thousand dollar camera. But that doesn't but, mean that they have to have a thirty thousand dollar tool. But people, but you can still make that same image with the Canon five D Mark III, which is what we we made you use. So why set people up to initially be like, "Fuck, he's making these with a, a, a Hasselblad," when you could just as easily make that photo? Because with Because I can't just as easily. Because now I have to adjust my thinking because I'm using a camera that I don't use every day. And when you talk about fixed tools, mindset, fixed mindset. No, not fixed mindset. <laughs> Absolutely. The the camera is an extension of who I am. It should become less of an issue and because my creativity and my lighting and everything else is what I'm concentrating on, not that tool. You made good images with the 5D. Yeah. Right? I I can make a good image with anything. That's not the point. So if you can make a good image with anything, then why not teach people with something that's more accessible? Why not let like people the, see me at my best, at my craft, doing well, what I do? We did. There was a section state. where you use the House of Blood, but there I, was also a section with the 5D. Why not do both? David, should he have done both or just one? Would you have been more encouraged if he only shot with the House of Blood? I tend to... No, I, I would not. I tend to believe that we have tools and that you should become a master of your tool. Not to say that you can't shoot with something else, but like... I shoot with Nikon. I bought Sony. I have an Olympus. I have all that stuff, but I like my Nikon because I can function it in the dark. I guess that's the infantryman in me. I can, I know where every single button is. I don't have to look. I can, everything just flows. Whereas another camera, I have to, it becomes multitasking. Instead of concentrating on the, 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 what's in front of my camera, I'm now concentrating on the camera strictly because it's just not as familiar. Can I do it? Sure. Do I like it? No, I have my preference. It's exactly. My preference. I mean, I can shoot uh, 
M249 too, but I, you know, I like I like to shoot an M4. I, it's it's just what's more familiar because I used it more often. I can lock up the mirror on a cannon, but it, it's so second nature on the Hasselblad. I can do it very quickly with two finger You're movements. You're just being lazy, done. Rob. No, just being oh lazy, Rob. He's making me crazy and, again. Like, Calm I down, just... Rob Green. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Tomas. <laughs> All right, I think we should actually kind of wind this up because this has gone on a long time and I think yeah. we have to have David back and I think we're going to have to talk more about this and go go into very yeah, specific we, yeah. purpose of the outline wow I, I know we so let's let's call this part one because this was very philosophical kind of look at it all and then we'll get back to it and we'll get into the nitty-gritty of what people should do he's going right. bother edu none another well, <laughs> All right, David. Well, we'll let you get back to uh, eating cheese up there in the, oh, it's date night. He's going the hills of Wisconsin. They went to a fish fry without me. Oh, oh shit! Well, you better catch up now. Go on now, get. Find them. All right, All right man. Thank I appreciate you. it. Talk yeah. to you later. Peace. To download it. this podcast and every podcast, you can go to proedu.com. We're also on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher. You name it. MySpace. MySpace. Yeah. Boom. Yeah, David. Oh, hey, David, where do, where do people go to find your work? Uh, what is my website? <laughs> DavidParish.com. DavidParish. Did you just think about it? DavidParishPhotography.com, right? Yeah, I'm horrible with the website thing. I've, I've put photography a little bit on a pause as I take care of my kids and as I, uh, I mean, I'm not quitting. I'm just not concentrating quite as hard right now. Right. You're Papa Parish. You're being a good dad. Yeah. Good for yeah. you. That's awesome. Shout Sometimes. out to all the good dads out there. All right, let's get out of here. Later. Thanks, David. Pro EDU is now unlimited. Get access to every single tutorial. Sign up at proedu.com today. I don't know about you, I'll take comfort in that. This podcast is officially over. See you next time. Never stop learning. Calm down, Rob. Jesus. It's got a certain groove to it I like. <laughs>